So today, as we continue um, on this series of the, uh, the being challenge that we are going through, um, I wanted to start us off with a prayer, uh, but that I'm excited to see what the Lord uh, will continue to do in our midst today. So would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, it has been so good to sing worship songs to you, to encourage one another in our faith, to read from Scripture and to be reminded that, and to keep asking the Lord, would you plan us deeply by the river of your Holy Spirit and the, the inflowing of your goodness and your mercy, and that we would trust on you as our source of life, and hope and encouragement. Jesus, we thank you that you are in constant control and you care for our every request and our every need. As we speak today, or as I speak, words that, that they would bring encouragement uh, to the hearer today, as well as challenge to each one of us. Help us to listen well. Help us to live it out even better. And to give you all the praise, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I have somewhat of a silly uh, illustration that I want to share. But mainly, the only reason it's silly is because it's talking about me. Uh, if you know much about me, you would know that one of the most unnatural things about me is uh, my dance moves. Not a dancer. If you've ever, I, you won't catch me on the dance floor. You won't find me dancing. It doesn't come naturally. The rhythm and my feet, I've, it, all of the cliches of two left feet and whatnot, they all apply. I inherited a lot of really good dance moves from my non-dancing family. And... Uh, so I say this illustration with absolutely zero um, experience, <laughs> okay? So work with me here. Today we're going to talk about relationships, and I want to compare them to a dance. Relationships are a vital part of how we exist. If you know how to dance then you know the steps and you know the pattern and you know the music and you understand and can appreciate all of the different aspects that come up in a dance. But if you don't know how to dance, the dance is terrifying. If you've ever been caught in the midst of everyone pulling you out onto the dance floor and telling you, oh, it'll be so much fun to do this line dance or whatever it may be, if you've never done it before, you're always turning the wrong way, you're always tapping your heel when you should have hit your toe, and you're always spinning and pointing and doing everything wrong. And it's really awkward, and you feel like everyone's looking at you. Has anybody else experienced this on those first dance moments? Okay, good. I feel like it's junior high dance all over again, except that there is dancing. Junior high dance is kind of like boys and girls are on opposite ends just you know, drinking or whatever, uh, I don't know what to do. It's a pretty hilarious thing to watch a junior high dance as well. But as we consider this relationship is like a dance today, I want us to consider it takes practice and it takes 
doing things behind the scenes to learn how to dance. So if, you, if I'm asking us today to consider it like relationship, I want us to consider that if we are going to grow into closer community, if we are going to understand how each one of us moves and operates and, and ticks and thinks, then it's going to take some work. You don't just understand someone's personality by watching them for a little bit. It takes conversation. It takes uh, hearing them communicate, possibly even with a joke. How many of you, when you meet someone for the first time, you don't know if they're joking or not? You can't get a read on them. Are they trying to be funny? Are they just not funny? Are they, are they serious? Do, should I laugh? Should I not laugh? It's that dance that we do in community. And when you ask people questions, you try to get a feel for them. So today, walk with me in, in this awkward dance that I want us to walk into of community. It will not just happen upon you. You will not just arrive in community accidentally. This is something that must be pursued. This is something that we need to work at. And I think if we were to pause and to listen and to ask good questions, we could grow into a deeper community, each one of us. And I think it's worth the joy, but also the tension, because we are built for relationship. I was reading a quote that came to me from Judith Glaser, and she wrote a piece called Conversational Intelligence, and it reads, There is a part of our brain that has a massive impact on us, and one that explains deep connection. This part of the brain is called the temporoparietal junction, or the TPJ. This part of our brain is activated when we share with others, when we actively share with others, sharing deep secrets, sharing what's on our mind, sharing our fears, our dreams, our aspirations. Our brain, if it's hooked up to different machines, lights up like a Christmas tree. This is why people get addicted to tweeting or texting. We are sharing transparently without judging or filtering. This behavior activates a high level of oxytocin, which is the neurotransmitter that enables us to bond and connect with others deeply. You see, we're, we're, we desire to get to know one another. We desire to know what the other person is thinking, but it's like a dance. How many of you have ever seen a relationship, and if those two would just communicate better, their relationship, their marriage relationship, would be great? And if you were to pull both of the, let's say, in a marriage, you pulled both of them aside and ask them about what an ideal marriage looks like, they could probably both describe how to communicate better and how to be more patient and how to be a better listener and how to do what the other one would want. But isn't it hilarious and also extremely frustrating and even painful when we don't know how to communicate and we can't even tell ourselves to do it right, where all of the conflict begins? Even though you know what's right, you still choose to fight. 
even when you know that that word or that compliment or that argument is unnecessary, you still want to get that last jab in. Well, our brains do light up when we are communicating because it's this unfiltered moment of sharing thoughts and building community closer to one another. And so my take on what Judith said a little bit ago is that it's really, really good to share life with others. It is wonderful to spend deep time connecting with others. And I believe, taking that a step further, Christian community is essential to our existence. Because if you are in Christian community, that means you are alongside other Christians that desire to grow closer to Christ. And so if you are committed to the community of followers of Christ, then you're going to surround yourself with those that follow Christ, which is going to help you and them and all of us grow closer to Christ. But if you surround yourself with those who tend to choose the wrong path consistently and don't follow Christ and are consistently doing things that are inconsistent to the Christian faith, then you are far more likely to isolate, to pull back, or to lose hope in Christ and to even give up on your faith. So I bring up a point that I want us to understand, and it's the idea of accountability. And you probably have heard this word. It's one of those weird words that uh, can stir up a lot of emotion because based on your experience, I, I don't know what accountability has looked like for you in your life. But I think there are good questions that if we will ponder them and be truly honest with ourselves, they can really help us grow in this relational dance. So I would ask you, are you in community where you can be open about what you really feel? Do you have people that you can share your struggles and your doubts, your concerns, your worries with that won't judge you immediately? Do you have a good relationship or how is your relationship with your family? Are you connecting well with your family members and communicating with them well? Have you done anything or looked at anything this last week where, that you would know is inappropriate or not worth your time or even sinful in your mindset that has been wasteful of your uh, brain activity? And then if you were to have a friend or a spouse or a loved one evaluate you, would they come to the same conclusions on your honest evaluation? Those are simple questions, but accountability is so important, but it's not something that we naturally do. I mean, when you go up to a gas station attendant, you don't just say, hey, do you want to be my accountability partner? You don't just say these things to the grocery store clerk. And anymore, we are isolated so much more, so your sphere of influence has really shifted. How many people do you feel comfortable enough to actually get close to you? anymore. That was already a struggle, but now we have more barriers. So it's going to take 
more of you stepping out courageously, communicating with others and saying, I need the fellowship. Well, I went out on a limb, and I don't do this very often, but on social media this last week, I posted a quiz. It was a one-question quiz, so I figured hopefully this wouldn't take, it wouldn't be too hard. And I could pull it up today. I, I probably won't, but it was, it was simple. If you could describe with one word the last two months, and you had to pick one of these words, what would you choose? Joyful, you're fine, energetic, lonely, or depressed. My pastoral heart was, was really jumping all over the place this week because people were, were commenting. It's an anonymous quiz. If you clicked one, I wouldn't know which one you clicked, but people didn't understand that, which is, I, I get it, technology. It sometimes is like dancing for me. But they would, they would post their comment of which one they chose. And, I, and it was some of the harder ones for me to see, depressed and lonely. Those are the two that stick out to me that, oh, wow, that's, that's a tough one. Well, I actually had 34 respondents that, that filled this out. And you probably are wondering, I mean, obviously, this isn't 1,000 people. This isn't like a poll of the nation, <laughs> so whatever. But it, for the 34 people that felt comfortable enough to click one of these, the answer that won was fine. I'm fine. Well, that sounds great, right? That just sounds really inspirational. <laughs> but it was an option, so I have to give it to them. Number two was tied, joyful and lonely. The next one was depressed, had five. And last place was energetic. But then, being American, this quiz, there was, you could submit your own answer. You could see add an answer. So then 14 other people <laughs> decided to add. And I'm just going to summarize in saying that four of them were of the positive wording, and the, the remaining 10 were mostly negative. They were okay, they were frustrated, they were stressed, they were uneasy, they were overwhelmed. Wow. And this is such a small sampling, so I'm not going to critically analyze all of this data because it's not that much to work with. But it did put a little pulse out there of if people are honest, how these last two months have made them feel, it's been hard. I'd say it's 50-50 between good and pretty bad. So if that were to hold true, half of this room is doing okay, and the other half is not doing okay. And I don't know how widespread we could make this, but I think this should be a part of our prayer rhythm. If half of the world is not okay, they can't even say they're okay. Then we've got some work to do in community. We need to step it up in relationships and find ways to encourage one another, to check in on one another. If you know yourself that you would have answered, I'm okay or I'm fine, well, who checks in on you? Because that's not real far off from being in the negative. Who is really encouraging you and Checking in and accountability and seeing how you're really doing. 
couple more bad events and I feel like you would be drifting towards pessimism, frustration, anger, loneliness. And I pray that we as the church, when we see someone who is willing to admit that they're struggling, we say, not on my watch. Not that those things are evil, but that we wouldn't let them go through it alone. We'd find a way to connect, to love on people. So there's a story that um, Scripture brought me to this week. And it's one that perhaps you've, you've gone by quickly, but it's in Mark chapter 2. And it's quite a few verses, but I'm going to give you the uh, condensed version today. Because there's beauty in this story. Jesus is speaking in Mark chapter 2. And as he's speaking, that the word gets out that he's speaking. And he's in a small house, and everyone packs into the house. I don't know if you've been in a packed house lately. That's kind of a weird, non-existent thing anymore. But everybody was packed in so much so that people were peeking in the windows and people couldn't get in any further. This was a packed place. And there's, a, there's another story that's developing. There's a paralyzed man who's never been able to walk, who has four friends that grab him and say, we're going to get to Jesus today. We're going to take you to Jesus. I don't know if you have four friends like that, but that's pretty impressive. And it's also fascinating to me. But they get there, and it's almost like they arrive. They're carrying him on the cart, and they see the crowd. And, you know, have you ever been in, like, a concert or something, and you're trying to get maybe in or maybe you're trying to exit and there's that shuffle where you don't, you're just kind of following a herd. You don't really know where you're going. But I just see that this crowd has blocked the entrance and they, they try to get him in with all of the stuff because he's on a cart or he's on a, almost like a, where they're just carrying him around. And I just imagine one of the guys going, let's get him in. Let's go on the roof. I don't know about you guys, but if, when, this would have been the great illustration about a year ago when we ripped a hole over here and we were swinging in trusses and stuff because we had to do some roof repair. But they, they take this man, they carry him up on the roof, which can't just be easy. I mean, I, I can't imagine that that's easy work. They get up on the roof and what do they do? They start digging the roof out. Can you imagine Jesus as, his, as he's teaching and he's communicating the roof starts to crumble. The room starts to get chaotic. What is going on? Is the roof falling in? Is somebody coming through the roof? What is happening? The roof opens up. They, they grab ropes of some kind and they lower the man in. This paralyzed man is laid before Jesus. And probably the room has to scoot back a bit because he's coming down. But he's in the center of the tension. He's, he's right there. You can't avoid this paralyzed man anymore. He has entered the scene. Whatever story Jesus was speaking about, whatever healings Jesus had been doing, whatever had been happening up to that moment stopped. Because these men had faith. These, people, these four friends had faith to bring this friend of theirs to Jesus. Now what does Jesus say right away? You would expect that he would have a conversation. But what does he say? My child your sins are forgiven. That's first. 
And you know this wasn't just a a group of people, ravaged commoners, probably a lot of people were commoners, but within earshot, the religious leaders jumped to attention. Did he just say what I think he said? He just said, your sins are forgiven. That is not allowed. We cannot say that. Only God can forgive sins. So in this story, we, we see that they jump up and say, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. Jesus knew their thoughts. He didn't just have to hear their words. But he knew their thoughts. And he says in verse 9, Is it easier to, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on, of, on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. The man followed the orders. The crowd must have moved a bit because the man ran out of that house, bursting with joy, bursting with muscles in his legs that had never been operational. And he was able to leap around the community, try to get that guy to shut up. He wouldn't have shut up about this ever If you've ever had been laid up in a hospital bed or laid up for an injury for a a few months, you know a a bit of it. But this man had never known leaping and jumping. When all the kids leapt and jumped and squirmed and wiggled, he sat still. He leapt for joy. And I love verse 17. It's actually another illustration when Jesus is calling Levi. But in verse 17, Jesus heard this and he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are. I have called, let me try that again. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. You see, Jesus came for you and I in the midst of our sin You see, Jesus wants us to be in rich community with God, with the Father, with Jesus the Son, with the Holy Spirit. He wants us to be in fellowship with him. And we get just a glimpse of that in community here on this earth. We were called to be in community with one another. And you might be wondering, how did Jesus do this? Well, I want to show a picture of a target here today because I want us to imagine and understand how Jesus built community. The target is a relationship with God. That's the bullseye on this target. But there are other illustrations that Jesus showed us. You know, Jesus spent a majority of his time with the 12, and that'd be tier three. It's the the closest friends and family. That'd be his 12. But right before that is the inner circle, which is his three a few disciples that he spent an intimate amount of time with. He, he got to know their every detail, their struggles, their worries. He took them separately away up into the mountainside to see the transfiguration of God and, and Moses and Abraham coming down to communicate. Fascinating. But Jesus had his core three. 
And if we jump to tier four, we see that he had 72, and we don't hear this one very much spoken about, but Jesus did have somewhat of a larger group or gathering that he would communicate with, but he couldn't relationally connect with them. But because of his words, what did the 72 do? They went out in pairs and communicated the good news of Jesus Christ. So this type of gathering is like the 72. We are gathered here not because we can all grow in close bonded relationship and community of like that tier two or your inner circle. We're called to gather here so we can be inspired, so we can corporately worship together. We can see faces and see, yes, I'm on the same team with others. We can be online. We can communicate with others and see prayer requests of others. We can be on the same team. That's our 72. And then I imagine that outer circle. This is the group that you, perhaps your Facebook friends with or on social media platforms, you're friends with them. It's the 500 when Jesus came back and he was seen by 500 after being raised from the dead. It's fascinating to me that those 500, they probably didn't get a lot of one-on-one time with Jesus. How could they? But yet they were willing to share their faith boldly and even confess, I saw Jesus and he changes everything. So there are different aspects of our our relationship, and there's no magic trick involved in the numbers. That's just how Jesus, you can translate it from what Jesus did. But what I would ask you is, do you have a core group like number two, your three, your, your couple of people that you can go deep with, you can wrestle with the hard subjects with, perhaps this is a spouse or a parent or a, a, someone that's really close to you. That tier three, it's almost like a small group. Do you have a small group of people that you can honestly study scripture together and and go back and forth with a little bit? Kind of grind each other, help each other work out some of the rough spots. Do you have a gathering like your 72, your church body that you can worship with, that you know that they are on the same path, but they are worshiping the Lord? And I almost imagine the 500, that tier five, it's our community of churches. Are you celebrating what God is doing all around in the community? When you hear the good news being preached, when you see and hear people praying powerful prayers like the community walk that Kenny mentioned, when you see and hear that others have been brought into a a saving faith in Jesus Christ at another church, do you celebrate that? That's your 500 growing. That's more people knowing Christ than ever before. That should delight you to be praying like this. I want to use an illustration, and it's, a, it's somewhat simple, but it goes back to uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. It says, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. My point here that I would like us to understand is that we, there's beauty in complementing one another. And the illustration that came to me that was new information to me is about the aspen tree. Does anybody, everybody know what an aspen tree looks like? There, <laughs> my wife does. It's her favorite tree. So, um, 
But aspen trees are a really, really beautiful tree, but they, you, never, you rarely will see an aspen tree by itself. And this is a unique quality that aspen trees have. They can be extremely tall, or they can be 10 foot tall. They can be 60, 70 foot tall, or itty bitty. But they grow in a group. And so one tree is not an individual entity. It needs a cluster for it to grow vibrantly and to do well. The tall trees are the ones that can get the sun and the nutrients from the sun that it so desperately needs, and it sends those down into the roots, and the short trees that need that sun so much that can't get up past all the shadows of the other trees, they are able to absorb and use those same nutrients. But the tall trees need the short trees because the short trees are pulling the nutrients right from the soil, and they're sending it up to the tall trees. So this group is actually called a clone. So it takes a few trees to create a, one, a group. A, a clone is considered a group, and a clone is actually a single organism. And I bring this all up to you for the, the simple fact that these trees need one another. They are complete when they are well-rounded with others. A single aspen tree is not nearly as healthy as one that has all of these other trees around it. They complement one another. So I, I see beauty in the complement. Who are you complimenting well? This is that first point that I want us to drive in today. Who are you complimenting well? It's almost like Romans 12 speaking up for us. That we are a body of believers. We are better together. And we shouldn't be envious and jealous of people that do different things well. Because you have your own giftedness. You have your own skill set. You have your own uh, goals and gifts that the Lord has given you. Be proud and excited that the Lord has gifted you in such a way. So I would ask that you find people that you can, you can it's almost like those trees. You can glean from them. You can be encouraged from them. It's almost like others in a study group are, are challenging you and helping you and sharing different facts and as a result, you start to learn those facts. But you also share different things that you've been learning. So that it's a group coming together and understanding something differently. The second illustration is that Jesus, if Jesus looked at your friends, would he be amazed at their faith? And I say this because if your friends that you surround yourself with, the people that you surround yourself with, is probably where you're going to get a majority of your counsel. So if those people know Christ and they're following Christ, you're most likely going to hear about Christ from them. But if the people you surround yourself with are of the opposite mentality and they're not pursuing Christ, and they say that they... Uh, they want to have good morality, but they're not pursuing Christ. You're not going to get closer to Christ by being with them. In Hebrews 10, verse 25, it says that we should not give up meeting together. So we should not go this alone. And I've been looking and considering that we are called to do this together. So much of the Christian faith, so much of our walk can't be accomplished when we try to do it alone. 
And I want us to consider how important it is that we are together with others. So the third thing that I want to put out in front of us today, if you are wanting to be in deeper community, I want to go out on, on a limb here and say that I, my prayer is that each one of us will be in community. But I can't force it upon you. But I can be a resource to you. Um, and I know Pastor Kenny is very interested in connecting you into small groups. I am certainly interested in connecting you in small groups. But if you just don't know where to start, if you're concerned or frustrated or, or you're just really excited and want to be in community but you don't know what to do, I'm going to put my cell phone number up here today. And I know this is on the Internet, and I'm okay with that. I'm, I think if people want to be in community and they want to grow closer to Christ, I'm okay with them talking with me. And now if I get a bunch of spam calls, oh well. But my hope is that the good news of Jesus Christ is worth us being willing to put ourselves out there. So wherever you're at, whether you need to write this down and follow up with me later, I want us to chase this together. I want us to commit to the, the promise that being together is good. Worshiping the Lord together is good. Growing in fellowship, growing in God's word is good. I would love for us to know how to grab our friend like they did with the, the man who was paralyzed and take him to Jesus. I would, know, I would love to know that we know how to do that. And we know how to get people to Jesus. And you don't have to take them to your pastor to get them there. You can take them to scripture and show them Jesus in your own life. Or even say, would you join me in small group? Because I go to this group that really makes me better. Not just me, it makes my soul better. And not just my soul, but it makes the whole community better. Because when we are better together, we will start talking about more enriching things. We will start loving each other in a different way. This is what community is supposed to be. It's not just a talking head up here talking at you. Community is you working through this with one another. And that's my prayer. That's my hope for us here today. Would you pray with me as we close? Jesus, we love you and we thank you that we are complete and good when we are connected to you, Jesus. We see that we are in desperate need of, of coming to you, Lord, just like that paralyzed man. And sometimes we don't even know how to get to you. And perhaps there's someone today that says, somebody might need to carry me because I don't know how to get to Jesus. I don't know how to be right with Jesus. I don't know how to change my wicked ways. I don't know how to surround myself with a community of believers that, that actually follows Jesus. Perhaps you've given up on Jesus. Perhaps you don't even know how to talk to Jesus. If you'd just be honest in these moments and say, Lord, I need your help. I need to know you deeper. Jesus, it, it is so good to trust you. It's so good to be in community with you. 
And it's so good to share that frustration and concern and life with others. So would you not let us leave here today without saying, I am going to commit to the community of Jesus Christ and following him with others. Thank you, Jesus, for your love, your perfect love that casts out all fear. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.